Hello and welcome to The Download. I'm your host, Dave Richardson, and uh, wow, a, a lot of stuff going on right now. And when, uh, when, when things are as uncertain as they are on so many fronts, there's only one person I call to talk to. That's Canada's harding wor- hardest working economist, Eric LaSalle. Eric, welcome. The Ghostbusters line was busy, was it? Uh, anyway, <laughs> nice to see you. Uh, thanks for having me. I, I will. That, that's not usually a, a fair assessment of how hard I work, but I would say the last week that is a fair assessment. There's a lot going on. I, I'm. I, I can only imagine because I'm. Uh, I'm in the same boat as I'm talking to. Uh, to as I'm getting calls from people, uh, getting uh, you know just just really nervous about about what's going on, uh, and and not just from an investment perspective, but. But, but thoughts around, you know, where, where this could go uh, in, in so many different ways. You know, I, I, I was, uh, I, I, I think I've said a couple of times on this podcast, growing up, it was, uh, you know, as a Cold War kid, uh, you, uh, you know, I went, sometimes I went to bed uh, nervous because you, you were worried that uh, some missile might come flying over the, over the North Pole and, uh, and, and strike us at home here in Canada. And one of the nice things about being a parent for the first uh, 17 and 15 years of my daughter's lives, I, they, they haven't had to worry about that. And then they're, you know, there's just this last week they've asked me about, uh, you know, what, what could happen out of this. And so it, it's, it's, not, it's not surprising that people are nervous. And, and of course, I don't want to, I, 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 as I'm saying that, I, I don't want to exaggerate uh, in any way. Uh, the, uh, the the potential for for what could happen out of this, and that's why we check in with uh, with experts like Eric. So, uh, the the Russia Russian invasion of Ukraine really, I mean, at a scale that I think has taken most people aback uh, in terms of what they thought would happen that, that Russia would go in, but that 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 it might not be at at this scale. What are your thoughts as you've watched the, the first week of this invasion play out and then how markets and, and the global economy has reacted? Yeah, I mean, with the caveat that I'm not a, a military strategist yes. per se, though I, I do like to play one on your podcast every once in a while. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, you, you're certainly right. This has been t- towards the, the most negative end of, of the spectrum and uh, – uh, you know, wasn't certain that Russia would attack. They they would have gained certain things just by threatening, and you know, Putin's domestic popularity was already rising, and and things like that. And so it wasn't guaranteed they would attack. If there was an attack, it was much more likely they would restrict themselves to eastern Ukraine areas they've already laid claim to. But th- th- this does appear to be a a complete uh, country invasion, and uh, it uh, to the extent it, it is proven initially challenging for the Russians, it has escalated in a real bombing campaign now. And so it's 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 an enormous tragedy. And it's not clear what the end game is here. I mean, I think you do have to assume that Russia does lay claim to Ukraine and has sufficient uh, military force to do that. But holding a country is a whole lot harder than claiming it initially. And so it could be a very, very messy affair for Russia for the foreseeable future. Uh, thereafter, uh, you know, open questions, the extent to which Russia has aspirations to recreate you know, the historical Russian Empire or the Soviet Union and thoughts about other countries, though I think the fact that their, their, their mouth is, is pretty full with, with Ukraine suggests that's probably not uh, in the immediate offing, but it's, it's, it's not, not a good outcome. And uh, from a, an economic perspective, uh, certainly there, there's a great deal of damage that emerges from that. Uh, really, ha- people don't do this, but you should start with Ukraine, obviously. So the Ukrainian yes. economy completely devastated. Usually people start with Russia and work out from there, but the Ukrainian economy destroyed for the moment. And so 
very serious and long-lasting infrastructure damage. Uh, and you know, really, are many people heading into the office in an environment like this? Clearly not. And, and people, men, I suppose, pulled away t- towards fighting, and a lot of a lot of refugees, a, a million plus, I think, at this point in time. So it, it's truly awful for the Ukrainian economy. That is that is you know, the most negative hit. Uh, it is quite quite bad for the Russian economy to the extent that the West has responded uh, with aggressive sanctions and has been ratcheting those higher. And by the way, w- one of the the concerns I suppose one has to have is you know escalation seems to be happening steadily here, both on the military side uh, and the sanction side. And so where it where it stops, no one no one quite knows. But as it stands right now, uh, it's it, it's quite bad for the Russian economy. I mean, I I, I don't have exact numbers in my head, but uh, you you got to think certainly it's a recession for Russia. Uh, it's probably quite a deep recession. Whether it's three percent off GDP or twenty percent off GDP, I don't think we quite know at this juncture. But it, it's a real heavy hit uh, to, to the Russian economy. Uh, and then for the rest of the world, uh, you, big consequences too, not not on that same scale, obviously, uh, mostly through commodities. And so mostly through commodity prices and the availability of commodities. And so Russia's economy is only, you know, 1.7%, I think, of, of the global economy. So not huge by itself, but uh, it exports or produces rather 10% of the world's oil, 20% of the world's natural gas, a lot of wheat, a lot of potash, a lot of aluminum, these sorts of things. And so there are consequences to those markets. We have seen now commodity prices significantly adjust. Uh, I think it's probably not unreasonable to think there could be some further adjustment there. Our base case scenarios do imagine that. Uh, But there are worst case scenarios as well in terms of a significant chunk of that oil production or gas production going offline and we could be talking even even you know significantly higher energy prices that last thing isn't quite the base case and it, it seems contrary to russia's interest to unilaterally shut off that exports it's the only source of foreign currency right now and uh, certainly counter to say europe's interest to shut off its its use of that natural gas in particular but uh, you know, there are worst case scenarios in, in involving that. For the moment, though, if we assume that there is some diminishment of these key commodities, but not a complete cessation, uh, it, it does take about three quarters of a percentage point off European growth. So a, a big hit, not not quite a recessionary hit, but a pretty big hit. Uh, it, it's notably less for North America, it might be a third of a percentage point off U.S. growth, might be a, a quarter of a percentage point off, off Canadian growth. Canada gets hit less, by the way, because Canada uh, produces a lot of those very same commodities that yes. Russia produces. We make oil, we make wheat. Uh, not to say the country benefits outright, but but aspects of the country actually benefit from the higher prices. And at a minimum, we can, we can serve ourselves significantly. And so there's less damage there. Uh, Asia gets hit a bit more to the extent that Asia is very energy uh, import reliant. Uh, Latin America less, Latin America's commodity rich as well. So uh, a, a few considerations like that. But as it stands right now, serious economic hits that we've now factored into our forecasts. And it's still an economic recovery year, we think, for 2022. Gosh, no shortage of challenges stacked up in terms of central bank tightening and high inflation and now this. So I won't claim it's a, a perfect situation, but believe it or not, when we crunch the numbers on those things, we do still have an economic recovery, but it's just uh, you know, a decelerating economic recovery is, I guess, the, the key message there. And we're now looking at growth numbers in the realm of you know 3% type figures for a lot of these developed countries, which are still wonderful by pre-pandemic yeah. standards, but uh, you know not the fours that the market was expecting as of a couple of months ago, not the sixes that were achieved over the last year. So it, it's, it's certainly quite a bit less. And 
uh, I, I guess a bit less margin for error. And then lastly, on, on the market side, uh, I mean, clearly markets have suffered to some extent, Russian more than the rest, but, but we've seen some decline and some risk aversion. And of course, that's not unreasonable to the extent we have this new source of uncertainty. And we do have a, a somewhat diminished growth trajectory. But equally, we are being somewhat opportunistic here and, and looking to take advantage of, of cheaper markets where that cheapness doesn't seem completely appropriate. And as I'm sure you've, you've discussed perhaps in the past with, uh, with, with all of our friends listening, uh, historically, geopolitical events uh, bottom surprisingly quickly, don't they? I mean, you're usually talking yes, a matter yes. of days to weeks before the, the market bottom is hit. And then frequently, it's a matter of, say, weeks to months before you're back uh, to where you were beforehand. And so we do we do need to keep that that in mind. This is a, a bigger conflict than, than many that we've dealt with in the past, but not bigger than all of them, I don't think. Uh, again, a lot of uncertainty in particular on the commodity price side. So that's where I'm still working hard to sort out all of the implications. And you know, if, if countries stop buying Russian oil, would other countries start buying more? It's trading at a discount. And so you can't be quite so simple as saying if Canada and the US stop buying and Canada is stopping, but it's a pretty, pretty nominal purchaser of yeah. Russian oil. Uh, you know, you can't assume, therefore, that much oil has been removed from the global stage. It probably winds up in, in India or China or a place like that. So it's, it's, it's complicated stuff. But, but again, I think it's, it's reasonable uh, to think, and this is true outside of geopolitical events, that when markets go down, you should be thinking, uh, becoming uh, enthusiastic about that as opposed to becoming more pessimistic. That's a winning strategy such a, a large fraction of the time. Yeah, and, and I, I, I just want to jump in and, and say, and, and, and you commented, I comment a little bit, uh, but, but I think it's important to say, look, our role here uh, and, our, and our jobs every day are to be analytical and to look out across the world and understand from an economic and market perspective uh, what's happening in the midst of any crisis, natural disaster, uh, military conflict. It could be a, a, any tragedy that's happening around the world, uh, but, uh, but we're human. Uh, we have lots of friends of Ukrainian descent, co-workers, uh, people listening. So uh, we're, we're like everyone else, praying and, uh, and, and supporting any way we can uh, the Ukrainian people in, in this struggle because it, it, is, um, it is a very challenging situation there. Uh, Ukraine itself, Eric, you, 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 you mentioned, uh, which is somewhat lost in, in, the, in the focus on oil, uh, but Ukraine, sunflowers, uh, wheat, huge wheat producer, Mm -hmm. uh, aluminum. So there, there, and, and this is, this is an economy that is pretty much going to go offline altogether for a while. Yeah, the, that, that's right. Yeah. So that, that's right. We do need to keep Ukrainian in our mind, in our hearts, as you say, but also yeah. in terms of its own ramifications economically as well. So it's, it's a big commodity producer as well. And, and, and so those commodities in particular will, will take quite some time, I suppose, to fully normalize to the extent that that production is just not not coming back quickly. So, uh, yeah, this, this is an issue that's going to be with us for a while. And I should mention, Dave, at the risk of, of overstaying my welcome here, that uh, you know, long term implications are, are, are awfully important, too. So here we are, clearly cold. War again. Um, yes, you could argue maybe there's been a cool war for a while between China and the West, and so maybe it's not quite as brand new as as, as we're pretending. But nevertheless, you know that that's a real thing. And uh, historically, when that happens, you end up with cliques of countries that don't quite uh, see eye to eye, and you end up with multinational institutions uh, becoming more feeble, and you end up with global trade not quite working as well. So there's a, a subtle but long term drag that emerges from that. Uh, you know, NATO 
emboldened, I suppose, and, and found its purpose again. And so uh, military spending set to rise, Germany above all, I think, but, but, but a lot of NATO countries doing that. More interest in joining NATO, uh, more interest in joining the EU. The Ukraine has requested, I believe Georgia just requested in the last few yes. days. It's probably not yeah. a fully realistic aspiration, but, sti but still uh, countries picking sides as per cliques uh, forming. And so I think that's an important one. Fiscal deficits may probably a little bigger to the extent that military spending itself uh, is bigger. And so that's worth considering. Uh, maybe, I hope not, but maybe more nuclear proliferation. Belarus talking about getting nuclear weapons back. And certainly any country out there is, is observing that uh, Russia gets to do a lot of things here in significant part because of the threat of nuclear weapons. And Ukraine didn't have much of a chance, maybe in part because it didn't have nuclear weapons. And, and so uh, Japan, I think, even musing about allowing U.S. nuclear weapons onshore for the first time. And so uh, yeah. potentially some nuclear weapon proliferation, un unfortunately, uh, and uh, I guess energy would be the other thought. And so clearly the energy pinch is most extreme for Europe, which is quite reliant on Russia for natural gas and oil. About 40% of, uh, of, of European natural gas comes from Russia. We've already seen changes that Nord Stream 2 pipeline uh, cancelled effectively by Germany uh, just as it was about to become operational. Uh, but, you know, in the short run, it's a scramble for other energy sources. So we likely see Germany keep the nuclear going for longer and reactivate the coal. And I'm afraid to say many of the green initiatives being pushed by President Biden in the U.S. probably not a priority right now. The goal is to get that that uh, price of a gallon of gasoline down. And so, unfortunately, that takes a back seat as well. Uh, over the long run, maybe not, though, in the sense that uh, you know, Europe very much wants to be energy independent. That vision is, is via green energy and uh, nothing like a bout of high energy prices to improve fuel efficiency and get green technologies going. So there could be a, a long term win for green energy, but it's probably a short term hit in the meantime. And uh, it, it, you know, just just looking at, at Europe again, going beyond just the, uh, the the price of oil and the and and really the where, where we where we see it most, the, the the visual sign as we're as we're here in Canada is just driving by the gas station and seeing the price go from you know uh, about ninety cents a liter where I am a year ago to you know a dollar seventy today, maybe a dollar eighty. I haven't been out this morning, uh, but uh, but but it you know if you look at energy, uh, I, I I believe in Europe they price natural gas uh, in, in BTUs or megatons of BCUs. And that price has gone from $18 to $200 uh, a unit uh, over, in, uh, over in Europe. So these are, these are some massive increases uh, in, the, in the cost of energy. And, and that just ripples through economies. Because as we know, energy is, is as I explained to the kids, as they're starting to take economics and start to think about some of these issues in school, uh, you know, energy just ripples through everything. You, you, anything you touch, you pick up, you, you turn on a light, that's energy. And uh, it, it's so critical. So, so Eric, that, let, let's, leave, um, let's leave that. We'll certainly be coming back to it. As you say, this is, this is something that's going to persist. Let's go quickly, though, just to finish off on, on a couple of other news items. We, we, we have you on on this, on this Friday uh, each month for the U.S. Jobs Report, because that has been a, a really key measure of the recovery out of, out of the pandemic, uh, out of the, the pandemic lockdowns and, and, and then different constraints along the way. A pretty good number this morning, right? It sure was, yeah, 678,000 jobs. And so that, that's a, a good looking number. It's, it's well above the prior month, which was 
surprisingly decent itself. Recall that uh, this is February data. Recall that January, of course, we thought there was some Omicron damage lurking in there. And really, particularly in the U.S., it's been hard to find. Uh, and so, yeah, lo looks like the U.S. economy is moving quite nicely. That unemployment rate's back below four. It's 3.8 percent. And uh, hourly earnings running at 5 percent, which would be strong by any measure other than when inflation's running at seven and a half, of course. So yeah, some yeah. real wage losses there, but still, still so some strength. I suppose, uh, and uh, and so yep, uh, qu quite strong and concentrated in leisure and hospitality. So it is still very much a recovery story, as as in the U.S. far fewer restrictions, but still some some restrictions and maybe just risk aversion on the part of of, of customers uh, ha has ebbed. Uh, and so I, I would say uh, the economic setup has been pretty good for the start of 2022. We've been pleasantly surprised by the momentum and the rate of growth. Uh, the twist is here we are now dealing with an altered energy price landscape and yeah, this yes. new issue and. And as well, as, as I think we'll get to uh, a Fed in the U.S., it's likely to raise rates shortly. And so uh, some headwinds come after that. So we probably don't get to quite sustain this remarkable rate forever. But it's uh, certainly helpful to be moving this quickly going into uh, that messiness. Yeah, you'd rather come into something like this with a with a with a healthy recovering economy uh, than than with a weak economy. Uh, and, and that strength in the economy that and, and, and the focus pre-Russian invasion uh, was on the existing inflation and and starting to move interest rates higher. Uh, the Fed is up later this month uh, with their decision. Uh, the Bank of Canada raised interest rates earlier this week. So your thoughts on on uh, on on both on both central banks and and what they're up to and and what you, does any of this change the path that we've uh, we've embarked on and are likely to go down. Central banks have pretty similar motivations right now, and so they're they're noting that economies are, are looking quite normal. And case in point, that 3.8 percent U.S. unemployment rate's pretty close to where it was before the pandemic. And and so so you know economic strength has been one motivator. The big one, of course, high inflation. And so inflation at seven and a half in the U.S. and north of five in Canada. Uh, and arguably, I didn't get to this earlier. Arguably, set to rise a fair chunk more, unfortunately, on the back of all these commodity prices. And so we're we're going to see higher numbers yet at least in the short term. So that's the motivation. One interesting debate was, okay, you know, this conflict came along, it, it spiked inflation, it hurt growth a bit. Like how, how do central banks untangle that? And do they raise rates more? Do they raise rates less? Uh, you could argue they should go more to the extent inflation has been their real concern uh, and inflation goes higher. Uh, they're not though. They're, they're going a little more slowly. And so they're saying gro growth is set to be a bit weaker. Uh, markets have suffered a little bit. Uh, uncertainty is high. They're proceeding a bit more slowly. And so that still entails rate hikes as per the Bank of Canada. But you know, at one point, not that long ago, tongues were wagging about 50 basis point rate hikes uh, to start off this tightening cycle, kind of the urgency to get going. And Bank of Canada didn't do that. The Fed probably won't do that at this point point in time. So uh, a little bit of steam has been taken out of what central banks are expected to do. They're, they're still set to raise rates. It's still very much an inflation focused uh, expedition. But you know, whereas you had market expectations at one point, I think that was approaching, you know, seven rate hikes or something in the US, even six and a half, maybe uh, that, that's now been ratcheted back to some extent. And we're pretty comfortable still saying we think maybe the Fed hikes rates four times or something like that. It could well yeah. be they start yeah. pretty briskly. They go 25 basis points at a at a pop for the next few months. And then they say, uh, oh, the economy's slowing, which which we think is a healthy thing, but which we think will happen. Inflation's coming down, supply chain problems becoming a bit less intense. And by the way, we do see evidence of that already happening. Uh, and so they might say, well, the urgency is diminished. We're, we're pivoting to quantitative tightening as bond sales happen. It's not necessarily the case that we have to have a policy rate that's, you know, 
two percentage points higher uh, a year from now. So yes, yes. The, the tightening is happening with, with consequences, certainly for people with mortgages and everything else. Um, but uh, but it's 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 still a structurally low interest rate environment. So don't don't lose sight of that. It, you know, peak policy rates probably not that far from something like two percent a, a couple of years out. And actually, one. Uh, maybe slightly ominous thing is if you look at what the market's pricing now, it actually started to price in a little bit of rate cuts uh, towards the end of 2022 and into 2023. And um, hard to say what happens two years from now, truthfully, sure. but it, it's, it's a sign that, gee, you know, all this rate hiking and an economy that's maturing quickly and so on, like, could we be in a position two years from now when the economy is then running out of steam? And we said before, we think it will be a shorter cycle. Uh, and, and so, we don't need to pay too much attention to that quite yet, but it's something to start thinking about over the next year uh, about the, how this could be a shorter cycle. Yeah, uh, and, and that's one of the really key points to come out of it is from an investment perspective, uh, knowing where we are in the in the economic cycle is an important factor in the positioning of your portfolio. Eric does some fantastic work on uh, on the business cycle, uh, and uh, and and that's something uh, that uh, that you can you can source uh, out in market. Uh, the other couple of things I, I just wanted to highlight, just because uh, I think it's really important, uh, you, you, you touched on a couple of points that provide some real perspective. The first is economic growth. We have 3% economic growth in Canada this year. So again, that's down from, from, from even your, your forecast, which again, we've talked about it through quite prescient that uh, you thought you know, there was the potential for growth to not be as strong in Canada uh, as some other forecasts that were out there. But when we look at, the, at the, the, the incredible economic expansion we had in terms of length from 2010 to 2020, uh, growth rates were well below that typically uh, on an annual basis. So we're still looking at very, very healthy growth. And, and, and we, we would say that across, as you said, uh, across all developed markets. And then as well that, you know, we're, we're sitting at, uh, you know, about 175 basis points right now on 10-year bond yields. Uh, we may not see the same level of increases from central banks uh, as was, was might have been expected even three or four weeks ago. Uh, so, and, and then even with all of that, even with these increases, rates are historically low. So this 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 is not we're we're not moving we're not moving from you know five to ten percent. We're moving from a a, a, a virtual zero percent rate. Uh, because of the circumstances around COVID to a rate that is still very, very low uh, and, and allows, keeps lots of lubrication uh, in, the, uh, in, in, the, in the economy. Uh, and then economies like China are actually doing things to stimulate their economy now. So, uh, so it's, 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 it's a, again, I don't know how you keep up with it all, Eric, but it's, uh, it's, it's great to catch up with you today. Likewise, thanks so much for having me. This recording has been provided by RBC Global Asset Management, Inc. for informational purposes only and is not intended to be investment or financial advice. You should consult your own legal, accounting, tax, investment, or financial planning advisors before engaging in any transactions.